Welcome to the Emerging Women Podcast, where we hear from brilliant women leaders creating big change in the world. I'm your host, Chantal Pirat. Before we start our conversation with today's guest, I want to make sure that you know how to get more support from Emerging Women. If you head over to EmergingWomen.com, you'll find some amazing resources, including a free trial of our membership community. This is the place to learn from trailblazing thought leaders, industry experts, coaches, and mentors, all focused on helping you live the truth of who you are. You'll be joining a group of amazing women like you who want change for themselves and the world. And I personally lead our monthly Circle Up video calls where we all come together to work through our edges in leadership and life. Don't go it alone, sisters. Check out EmergingWomen.com and sign up for your free trial today. Today's guest is Sarah Beek, who finished graduate school at Harvard studying comparative world religion and rapidly gained traction as what the New York Times called a new role model for her generation. She was much in demand as a speaker, author, and teacher for young modern women who felt that they had been left out of the world's wisdom traditions when, as she puts it, the universe slapped her to the ground. She realized the importance of finding and embodying her soul, which we talk about in this podcast, and one of the things I most admire about Sarah is that she walked away from all the lucrative offers and life in the spotlight in order to pursue her truth so that she could more deeply contribute to this world. Now her long-awaited third book, Red Velations, has just come out, and she joined me to discuss the difference between your divine soul and your human soul, and how one can guide you to complete the other. We also talk about the epidemic of soul loss, and how the body is truly the way home. So get ready to get open. We delve into some pretty uncharted territory as far as space and time are concerned in this podcast. It's all part of the Emerging Women ethos, so let's jump right into this unique and fascinating conversation. Welcome to Red Velations with Sarah Beek. Hello and welcome, Sarah, to Emerging Women's Podcast. I am extremely honored and excited and eager to dig into your long-awaited and long-anticipated, at least from my part, new material and new book called Red Relations, A Soul's Journey to Becoming Human. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. It's really great to be speaking with you. Um, Thank you for having me on. It's always a delight to be part of Emerging Women. Yes, and I just, you know, have been watching your work and always wanting more, of course, as you know, always emailing you and checking what's new. And I know that you are very intentional about what you put out there. And I so appreciate that. So that's what makes this new work just even more sacred to the world, to me. And it is quite unique. And I'm not even sure where to go, but I want to start with, since the, the book starts by profiling your experience of the story of Sarah... I want to start with just by inviting you to give us an introduction on what we know of Sarah. There's the biblical Sarah, daughter of Abraham, isn't that right? And um, but this is a very different story. So if you could give us a little bit of of an intro of your connection to Sarah and also how this story is different than our traditional knowledge and and maybe even just give us a little bit of the traditional knowledge because I'm sure a lot of people may not even have that. Yeah. um, Well, I'll start off by just saying um, the book Revelations, it's really my soul's memoir. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my focus of this book was about exploring the more universal importance of recovering and embodying the lost or missing pieces of our soul, 
mm-hmm. so we can we can become fully human and more alive, more mm-hmm. genuinely alive. Um, and I do this through sharing my experiences of retrieving and reclaiming Sarah, who is the person, the, the being that you're referring to, mm-hmm. um, the forgotten daughter of Jesus and Mary Magdalene as the last part of my own soul. Mm-hmm. So that's the perspective that I offer in this book. And that said, I really have no interest in convincing or converting anyone. And I welcome people to interpret uh, my experiences any way they like. You know, you can view my experiences with Sarah, the forgotten daughter of Jesus and Magdalene, as purely symbolic or archetypal. Um, you can view this entire book as just one giant metaphor because really Sarah's story is everyone's story. It's a human story, in my opinion, and it's love's story. So what's more important than believing in my soul's reality and did Sarah exist or did she not exist um, is really my my real hope is that people are inspired to believe in their own soul's reality and that they start that process or continue that process to really do whatever it takes to bring all of themselves home. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. And, you know, this is a reason why I love your work is that I just believe so wholeheartedly in the power of identifying with, archetypes, whether we do it consciously and as a practice, or whether we're born with a certain resonance to one story or person in the past, or, you know, some people, you know, the word channeling, or some people have an active practice of identification with certain myths and storylines and archetypes, as I said. And I think it's, God, I just love that you're stepping into this unapologetically and you're putting a stake in the ground, yes, for the the content and the story of, of Sarah to apply to so many of us, but also a stake in the ground for opening ourselves up to the fact that we can live these myths in different ways and draw power from them. And um, it's not some kind of occult or something that, that might um, turn people off in that way. And I just think you're doing it beautifully in this book and I applaud you and I thank you. Uh, Well, it's, um, thank you for that. And it's, it's been a real struggle. (laughs) Mm. So I, I, this has not been, um, in any way, a comfortable or easy, uh, practice or experience or process. And so this book is definitely the most vulnerable thing I've ever shared. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. And I think, again, to bring it out to everyone, I think that's really true whenever we dare to share our mm-hmm. truth and our soul story. And um, and just to, to say, you know, part of, part of the real confusion for me and unease and a lot of my inner battles was around that I personally wasn't allowed to purely experience Sarah as an archetype or a symbol. Mm -hmm. She is that, but I was not allowed to only do that. Um, I had to really acknowledge and experience her as a piece of my own soul. Mm. And so that was, that's what brought up, um, as you can imagine, many different things and many different issues and worries about, what that could mean or what that might, you know, provoke in other people. Um, the one thing I've learned, and I will have to continue to learn this over and over again, and this is a huge example and practice of this for me, is that I really cannot encourage others to stay true to their soul if I don't stay true to my own. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you know, I don't know what we'll end up talking about during this interview, um, but depending on what we do and depending on the context, um, I'm not always going to say, for instance, Jesus and Magdalene. I am also going to say my parents mm-hmm. because that's, that's how I experience them. Same thing. I wouldn't always, depending on questions in the context again, but I'm not always going to say 
Sarah's life, I'm going to say my life. Mm-hmm. And, and I understand that that's unusual and perhaps confusing and even potentially triggering for people. But if I separate myself, and I think this goes for all of us, <laughs> you know, if I separate myself in order to make my ego or others comfortable or in order not to shake the spiritual or social status quo, then I separate myself from my soul and my truth and my holy and human family and from you and from life. So even though I am pretty shitstorm terrified to speak my soul truth publicly, and I can think of a billion other things I'd rather talk about, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm also not willing to be separate anymore because I've really been separate and fragmented um, for long enough. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hear the distinction and I, you know, welcome the depth of it, welcome the reality of it. And, you know, for my part, I'm saying bring it <laughs> because I, <laughs> I know both where it comes from, that, that the power of that and also the vessel through which it's chosen to express herself is also powerful, just knowing you after so many years. So, and they're one and the same. And they're uniquely different. And I just want to, I want to tease it out as much as you want to, you know, get into the granularity and bring the message forward. It's powerful. It's a powerful book and it's, uh, it's beautifully written. And I'm glad you're addressing that. And I hope that in any way, let's, let's flow with it. Let's see what happens. Mother, father, the third one. I mean, there's just so much here. (laughs) And, uh, and I'm going to, I may even say what was your, you know, I'm going to talk to you as Sarah Beak, Sarah, the biblical Sarah and Sarah, the soul Sarah, if they're one in the same, let them be one in the same. I'm, I'm just excited. So, um, yeah, but you know, I do think that it would be good to start with the Mm -hmm. story of Sarah because, you know, not, you've been well-trained in this and, let us see, like, what, you know, what does the public know about Sarah and what is really her divine light? What is it that she she is embodying? Sure, sure. So you made reference at the beginning, I know, to Sarah, which was, you know, a, we're going, like, way back to um, the Hebrew Bible. And the Sarah that I am talking about is a different Sarah, um, okay. the Sarah that I'm talking about is not, you know, in the Bible, she's not in any text. Um, And according to, you know, history and Christianity, she doesn't, she does not exist. Mm -hmm. Um, There are always, and there have always been, you know, legends and oral traditions that Jesus and Magdalene, as we all know now, thanks to the Da Vinci Code and, you know, and, and scholarship and legit Gnostic Gospels and things like that, references where, Jesus and Magdalene were said to have had more of a closer relationship than is talked about in um, the Bible, the New Testament. However, when you're reading the New Testament, it's really fascinating because Mary Magdalene is the woman that's in every one of the Gospels, um, mm-hmm. and that's not true for any other woman. She does every significant event you know, the crucifixion, the resurrection, like every significant event, she's present and she's named as being present. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's, that's it. Um, all the new texts that have been discovered over the years have definitely fleshed her out, including she has her own gospel called the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. And there's, there's many different references. And that's a whole world out there that if people are interested in, there's just plenty of resources and material to explore and, and really see what resonates. Um, Sarah doesn't have any of that. Um, mm-hmm. So Sarah's pretty much an unknown factor in that. Again, unless we're going more the Da Vinci Code route, where Dan Brown does talk about them having a child, then we also kind of go into more of the conspiracy area of, you know, a bloodline and a holy grail and, you know, secret societies. And again, that's that's its own thing. Um, that's not something I'm interested in or I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the real experience of a flesh and blood human daughter of Jesus and Magdalene and the intricacies 
of that life and really the trauma of that life. Um, that was not an easy life. And um, that was, there was a lot that happened <laughs> mm-hmm. in that life that most people would not necessarily think of as some like glorious, <laughs> amazing experience, but rather we would look at it as any human experience where Sarah suffered, um, what I would call the wound of incarnation, just the shattering shock of being human and experiencing the brutality um, on this planet. Um, Sarah, and I can also say like myself, like I was in the womb during the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. And so as we know from just even psychology today and many different um, biological processes and you know, a fetus feels everything the mother feels and has a very difficult time separating itself from the mother. And when there's trauma or pain, there's such a flood and rush of hormones that the fetus ends up experiencing all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're talking about something that pretty right away was not um, a very safe or welcoming experience um, onto the planet and then the story that I continue to tell is just sort of what that was like living with those wounds and living as the daughter um, and then dying dying um, without being known and without sharing really what I as a soul came here Mm -hmm. to share and that's for many reasons Um, a lot of them were just due to self-sabotage and <laughs> a bunch of different things. But to, to try to pull it all together, I guess the main thing is that Sarah's story has not been known. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things about it that I think is going to be potentially interesting for people and hopefully pop any projections or possibilities of like thinking like I've just completely lost my shit and just like an inflated spiritual like that job is just the, the real pain of that lifetime and the pain and the trauma was so great that that's actually where I lost my soul was in that lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the second half of revelations mm-hmm. is talking about present time and it's me and current time. And it's the story of just how I began remembering these things and how I began to really wrestle with them and, really try to understand what was happening to the best of my ability. Um, And it's also where I do the actual retrieval work where I, you know, these are just labels that go back and reclaim and retrieve Sarah's fragments and bring them back into my body in order for me to be whole and in order for me to be healthy and in order for me to start to really contribute to life and be of service on this planet. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And so you talk about this book in the very beginning being a revelation of the the recovering and embodying parts of your soul and that that's the work really that we all need to be doing. And I'm just curious, first I think we need to talk about soul, okay? What does that Mm -hmm. mean? I love the way that you bring in Cynthia Bourgeau's quote and you call it an organic reality. So maybe we need to talk, first of all, what do you mean by soul? And then second, this whole idea of recovering and embodying lost parts of our soul. I'd like to tease that out and understand a little bit more what you mean by that. Yeah. 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 Um, So soul has many different definitions and in different traditions and in psychology. Um, This is how I speak of it. This is how I know of it. Um, Soul, to me, is our organic nature. It's our truest identity, our raw essence. It's an intimate and integral part of this universe, but it's also distinct and sovereign and an expression of its own universe. Mm -hmm. And our soul is both the most human part of us and the most divine thing about us. So it has a, it's just a tremendous amount of paradox (laughs) when Mm -hmm. when you think about soul. Mm -hmm. You know, for instance, it's, it's always present, and yet we can lose it. It's essentially indestructible, but it can fragment. It holds our wounds and our wisdom, our brightest light and our darkest shadow. Um, it's really what makes us come alive, but most of us live our life without really being aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, being, 
and, and being soulful to me has like very little to do with being spiritual. They're, they're kind of, they're, they're kind of different things for me, although they have, you know, they intersect in different ways. Um, the, the other thing that I have learned, um, is that embodying or incarnating our soul, it's not a guarantee in life. It's, it's a evolving process and a work of art for most of us. Mm-hmm. And again, it's this, this paradox because while, while soul is really our most natural and our most unfettered way of being, it takes a tremendous amount of devotion and determination and love and just strength to really go there and to live from and for and as the soul, um, especially in today's world, although I would venture to say it's never really been easy. Um, and so soul loss um, is something that happens to all of us. And in mm-hmm. fact, even from a more like Jungian or psychological point of view, like from Marion Woodman and other people, um, soul loss is considered an epidemic on this planet. Mm-hmm. And this can, this can happen through ways that we might be more familiar with, um, for instance, due to an accident or abuse, trauma or oppression. Um, but it can also happen to us. Our piece of our soul can kind of sneak away just when a stranger looks at us in a funny way, when we're on the subway perhaps, or a teacher calls out our mistakes in class, or the government passes a really unfair and inhumane act or law. Um, it really can happen anytime we're just shocked or taken off guard or just emotionally shaken or we just can't handle feeling what we're feeling or experiencing at that time Mm -hmm. um the other the other part of it is it's not just something that happens to us um it also happens due to our own action or inaction so we can also lose a piece of our soul by for instance like staying too long in an unhealthy relationship or when we didn't speak out against injustice or when we choose to not share our truth in our intimate, you know, partnership or with dear friends or family. Um, it can even happen when we are putting a spiritual practice or paradigm or teacher or tradition over our own soul. Mm. So it's, it's a bunch of things and it, it's, it's not just a spiritual metaphor in my opinion or only a psychological perspective, or even, you know, something that we might learn about through, for instance, something like shamanism. Um, But to me, it also really describes just that fundamental disconnection that many of us feel or don't even know we're feeling um, to our own distinct divine sovereign identity and being. And and for me, this whole thing, like this whole big chunk of soul, both from like the human level to the real divine level of a feeling disconnection from our divine soul, um, is one of the, the many reasons behind so many issues that are on this planet right now. Mm-hmm. Every kind of in, injustice, environmental devastation, disease, violence, racism, like to me, this is one of the core reasons, and that's part of the reason um, I really wanted to write this book was to kind of offer my own small part through my own story um, to share about soul loss, to share how this happens to every single one of us, to share that it's part of the human experience, but it's also something we all need reminders of. I need reminders of that we have this incredible soul and that it's worth taking the time and the energy to do whatever we can to retrieve and reclaim it because in doing so we're not just doing it for our own personal transformation we're actually really and truly and this isn't just like spiritual you know perfume or some sort of mm-hmm. cliche but we really and truly are helping the planet when we do it as well mm-hmm. Hello, lovely listeners. I want to pause for a moment here to make sure that you know how you can get even more access to this type of inspiration and support. Emerging Women has its own membership community where you get teachings from incredible female leaders and coaching support directly from me, as well as other brilliant members within the Emerging Women tribe every month. 
If you are ready to go deeper into your own leadership and emerging journey, head over to EmergingWomen.com for a free trial of our membership community. We've truly designed it as a hub for women like you who want to create change in the world. Don't go it alone, sisters. Head over to EmergingWomen.com forward slash membership and start your free trial today. Now, let's get back to our conversation. And one of the things, you know, that I'm curious about that it seems to imply in what you're saying and in your book that this separation or this fragmentation, and you, you actually said it, it's part of the human experience. So there is, is there no way to be a whole? I mean, every, every time we're born, we have to go through this reclamation process. Um, I don't know. I don't have, um, those sort of big answers. Most of what I can share is only from my experience and kind of drawing Mm -hmm. (laughs) conclusions, but my, the way I see it, and Mm -hmm. I kind of can't not see it Mm -hmm. is that our soul has been on a very, very, very long journey Mm -hmm. that actually encompasses, you know, for me, from my perspective, many different lifetimes, many different forms, even many different dimensions. Mm-hmm. And that there is sort of that process of of shattering to pieces. And then there is this time, this process where we start to recollect those pieces. Mm-hmm. And so for me, there's no, you know, sorry, I swear a lot, there's no fucking way I could have done that in one lifetime. I mean, I just... It's too, it's too much. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. For me, it's taken 2000 years to just get to the point where I was in a safe and stable and like healthy enough state of mind. And I, I'm just, I am a white privileged middle-class woman where I have not had to deal with what most of humanity has to deal with on this planet in terms of survival and war and, you know, just racism and oppression like that, that hasn't had to be like my, that hasn't, it hasn't been about survival for me in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. I've been afforded the chance to actually have the time and the means and the education to sink in and to start this process. And this process was something that I have both been avoiding because part of retrieving and reclaiming and embodying our soul, it requires that we look at these painful things, because that's usually how our soul has separated. Mm -hmm. Again, both things that have happened to us and also really owning when we ourselves have abandoned our own soul Mm -hmm. and why we did it Mm -hmm. and how we can learn not to keep doing it. Soul work at its core, when you are doing this work for yourself, you cannot help but start to want to extend and help others in whatever way you can, like socially, social activism, political activism, I mean, your community, just anything you can. Um, you go in really so you can go out. And just the reality is we, not all of us can go in at the same time on this planet and not all of us can be out at the same time on this mm-hmm. planet. We have to both go in and go out in a rhythm that is uniquely our own and it's part of a much bigger sort of timeline, something that I can't fully understand, but I know I'm kind of at the mercy of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, given the fact that a lot of the soul work we have to do in this lifetime has, you know, kind of come from lifetime to lifetime, it could be thousands of years, it could be last lifetime, it could just be, you know, fresh cause that we've created in this lifetime. My question is, how do we know what piece to start looking at and to work on and to, and, you know, start the reclamation process with? I mean, I feel like in my head, there's a lot of, you know, self-improvement work I could be doing, quote unquote, which, of course, mm-hmm. we're not, you know, there's always something to work on. There's always some new mindset. There's always... And it feels like, you know, forever not deep enough. And when you talk about the soul, there's something so tender, so emotional, so guttural, so, 
you know, it just feels like it's coming. I love that you're linking it to this, this shamanic piece. You have a shamanic, I know you had a, sh a shaman that you were working with that did, you did journeys with. It does feel like coming from a very, very deep underbelly kind of place. How does one know what is soul work that needs to be done now and versus, you know, mental recorrections or psychological, you know, overcoming limiting beliefs and that kind of work? How can we identify right. that? Right, right. Yeah, no, that's an excellent question because we are inundated mm -hmm. <laughs> with so much um, possibility. And to me, it really comes back with what feels the most immediate and natural for us. Um, mm. It's less something that our mind can be like, oh, now soul work. I need to add that to the list that I need to go and retrieve right, right. all I'm the like, parts of my soul in order to be a whole and complete human and make her any love. Like, nobody fucking needs that extra burden right now. No, and it's, um, and it's, not, it's not quite a line item to check off either. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, no, no. So, yeah. So I think, yeah, so I, I, I hear you I and I feel you more because I also, because, yes, I've, I've, I'm out there. I, I feel that. Um, mm -hmm. I, my, what I can say again from my experience is everything that happened felt really natural and organic. This was not a course I took. This was not like just reading a book and realizing I should go do this too. Everything in my life was showing me that I was not fully here. I was not fully in my intimate relationships. And when, when I say fully, again, I'm not trying to talk about some big grand thing. It's just a feeling where I knew I was not participating in life the way that I really longed to, mm -hmm. that my heart and body longed to. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't connected, you know, both with myself, with others. Um, there were plenty of things in just my daily life and my professional life that pointed to that something was missing. Um, now, I did then have the experience of interviewing Marion Woodman, who in that, which I talk about in Red Hot Holy, and it was in that encounter that I really had the full bodies like, holy fucking shit, I'm not here. Like, my soul is missing. Where mm -hmm. the fuck is my soul? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Where is it? Mm -hmm. And so that that took me on a very particular journey because there's nothing like waking up realizing you actually haven't really been alive as much as you have been in a life. And um, there's for me there is nothing more painful. Um, and so my life demonstrated where I needed to go. And maybe it was because of the people I was around or Marion Woodman used the language soul um, that resonated with me that I was like, it, it felt like that was the right name and label for feeling that the essence of who I was wasn't all the way home in my body mm -hmm. or that there were big missing chunks of it that were preventing me from yeah, from doing and being and living in a way, not a perfect way or not some self-help new age, like full optimum way, but just in a way that was real. Um, and so I would just say for other people is look around your life and feel into your body and, and, and see if anything feels perhaps like there's a distance or there's something missing. And, and it's not about fixing it's for me it was actually about kind of discovering or rediscovering and finding and and bringing all these parts of myself home in an order that I couldn't have gotten through anybody or anything outside of myself mm -hmm. and, and my one of the things that if for instance if I'm when I'm facilitating a retreat or you know when I did the the power boost for you all last year, mm -hmm. my, my focus tends to be to support in those contexts, to support the reconnections of um, the human personality with what I would call our divine soul. And that who is who you have heard me refer to. And it's in Red Hot and Holy as my lady. Mm -hmm. So this is the infinite, like indestructible, all knowing wise part of us. 
Um, this is our true essence. This is our distinct divine sovereign being. And, and why I focus on helping um, to support that reconnection is because when we have that particular reconnection and we start rebuilding that relationship, that part of ourselves knows how to deal with all the other parts of ourselves, including our human soul. Mm. And our human soul is the part of our divine soul that's here, you know, on this planet. And it's here again through my perspective that's had many different lifetimes and many different experiences. Um, and so I could not have done what I did in Revelation, which is really retrieving and reclaiming my human soul. Mm -hmm. If I had not already created that relationship with my divine soul, because it's just too much. It's too hard. It's too painful. And I didn't know the order. I didn't like you said, like, I'm like, what direction do I go in? I couldn't do that. But when I was being guided by my own being Mm -hmm. through my body, through my dreams, through my sensations, through my daily life, through sort of direct connection with my own being that I could ask certain questions to at certain points that made this process doable. And I would say any process (laughs) doable because our own being knows exactly how we organically unfold and the right timing. Um, it, it, it follows like an inherent sort of natural rhythm that's our own. Mm. Um, but it does take for some of us some time and work just to reestablish that trust that we do know and that we do have this ability and that life all around us is actually showing us what our next step is and what our next sort of area of focus should be. But again, the, the words that just always come up for me are like natural, organic, like weight, trust, let life, let love, let your own body, let your own soul show you what the next step is. Mm. Yeah. I, I love how you really have a strong emphasis on the embodying piece and really feeling it on a somatic level. I think is a really good practice of, you know, it helps to remember if we can help to locate where the communication is coming through in our body. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, we, we know about it. Like we, I mean, I know about, I mean, there's somatic practice. I mean, this, this word embodiment is something that um, many of us have become more familiar with. Thank goodness you know, over mm-hmm. the years. And I have definitely been probably one of the most disembodied people <laughs> that I know. And so I've really, it's, it's, it's been a long process and I am nowhere near done with it. Um, but I can say that I am constantly daily shocked and surprised and just kind of in awe of how necessary and important just this role of the body is with the soul. I mean, they really and truly belong together. There's a marriage there that's pretty much, it's kind of unspeakable, but it, it's its so key. Um, and even in a, in a sort of broader spiritual context, um, like with this lineage that I come from and that I believe everyone comes from because it's just sort of the lineage of life and the lineage of love. But the body is our way home. It it is not, it is anything that is pulling us up and out of our body and either by the most overt direct ways or even the most subtle ways is something um, to just pay attention to, you know, And, 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 if it, yeah, it's just the body is home. Like it, it really is the way home. And by embodying our soul, what we're also talking about is you know, embracing all parts of ourselves, but it's both in that act of embracing all parts of ourselves and what we are embracing, mm-hmm. which is our soul, that we're actually quite literally incarnating love into the flesh and the flesh stands on the earth. And so what we're anchoring here is something, again, that's so much more than just another spiritual, beautiful concept. It's a lived reality of living yes. love. It's, yes. Yeah. That's, that, that's, you know, the soul is just such an 
it's so ephemeral, the concept, you know, and, and somehow I, I, like I said, I feel, I feel it more when you're talking about it, when we can identify it through the physical in a way or through the body. Mm -hmm. I just feel like I can get my hands around it, you know, even though I'm still, you know, what's my soul work? And, you know, I'm still in that process. I feel like I'm always in that process, (laughs) but, you know, bit by bit. Through the physical, I feel like it just feels more real. Yeah. And that, to me, is one of the qualities of soul. Even when we're talking about the divine soul, even when we're talking the most intimate, yeah, you know, part of ourselves, here's the thing I'm going to say. Like, here's what was the big, like, revelation for me, like, with Red Hot and Holy and with working with soul, was that she's constantly, like, my lady, like, keep it real. What are you feeling in your body? Like what, what is now and fleshy and their, her whole point is what makes you real and alive and human. And, and that's the thing that I think for me has been a real like struggle, um, was that deep down in my unconscious, like I did not want to be human. I wanted to just be divine. And if you look around, there's probably many of us who are like, this place is difficult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this earth. Mm-hmm. We are struggling here. There is pain. There is so much fucked up shit going on in this planet. Um, I would rather not experience this. And so that's why a lot of us lean towards spirituality. You know, that's why a lot of us go towards traditions and concepts and practices that can help relieve us of just some of the intensity of being human and alive. And they serve a point. Um, There's also, though, like anything, a way to become imbalanced. And that's something I did, which I started to spiritually bypass. And I was Mm -hmm. more focused on the divine than I was the human. And what I love about the soul is that it's multidimensional. It is both human and divine and many different things in between. And while reconnecting with the divine part for me was really necessary because that was really reinstating my own spiritual authority and sovereignty, reclaiming my human soul has been, I mean, absolutely necessary. Like it wasn't enough to just have this like, holy shit, the red lady that, I, you know, this is, the, I'm the succinct divine being as of everyone else. Like it, that wasn't enough to have that big, huge realization. It wasn't. I had to, and I will continue to have to, then do the work to just become human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that is really what revelation is about for me. And that's really something that I will be struggling with and practicing, you know, definitely for the rest of my life. But just like you said, it's, it's really what's real and what makes us come alive and what brings us into our body and what grounds us into this earth and what allows us to connect with others. Mm-hmm. And anything other than that to me, like, will just, it will start to have a certain, you know, tone. That's just not something that I'm as interested in right now. Mm-hmm. I love it, especially because knowing you, I know that that's an edge for you and that you, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, so like I trust it as opposed to somebody who's like super on the planet and doesn't have a problem navigating. I love that this (laughs) is an edge for you and that you're teaching it. Thank you. But let's, let's switch it a little bit to this other component of the book and your story, Sarah's story around the masculine and the feminine and this term you have for organic masculinity versus synthetic masculinity and the same for feminine And you have a quote in here where, Sarah, um, you are born to Mary Magdalene and nothing ruins a spiritual mission like a vagina, which I love. (laughs) I love it. And, um, and, And, you know, that's, it's sort of what's happening now with the rise of the feminine is thousands of years of historical subjugation and um, denial and abuse of the feminine and this whole embodiment, which the masculine is uncomfortable with because, you know, masculine lives on a different polarity. And I, I just feel like it's so timely now when we're talking about this to really kind of look at this in terms of 
you know, what's, what's the healthy masculine, what's the healthy feminine, and what does the future look like where we are moving towards more embodiment. You're, you're, this stance is the only way through to a healthier world. We have to physically, somatically reclaim this part of our soul or we are going to die. So um, tell me more about like how this breaks out into masculine feminine for you and how Sarah's story is what I see as the reconciliation of this and the way through the, the, these polarities and this, you know, for lack of a better word, koan. Um, well, I'd actually be interested in how, what you just said. I'm like your perspective, um, that last sentence, mm. because <laughs> I mean, just hearing a little bit more about for you, did you think it reconciled those polarities? Uh, I, very much so. I mean, I'm just curious. Very much so. Very much so. I just feel, I feel like that's the purpose for all of this. Sarah is the third, Right you know, the, the product of the divine feminine and the divine masculine, which came through, you know, I mean, divine orgasm. And I, I love the integration of the sexuality, which is neither masculine nor feminine. And mm -hmm. that third way, which is, you know, of course, I, I love the third way, very Jungian identification. And, and, you know, we become whole through the reconciliation of these polarities within us. And mm -hmm. Sarah, and this way that you're, the way that you identify with, you know, hey, I could just go spiritual and check out and be totally happy, you know, um, but then you're called to the embodiment piece feels like that that, you know, is what she is representing here for me. That's what how I, mm -hmm. I read it. And I feel like that's the that's the calling and that's why it's so timely. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I would just say, you know, trust what resonated with you. I think whenever we read a book or we look at art or we see dance or anything, it's like the thing that really lights us up and that reconciles something within us is what you know, it's it it's what we get from it. It's for me um, if I'm to talk about, you know, the third, um, part of Revelations also offers a different perspective on the Trinity, um, and typical or traditional, <laughs> typical, <laughs> traditional Christianity, um, the Trinity is, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, and Revelations, the Trinity is, um, the father, the mother, and the child who is growing into an adult. But when we take it off to a bigger level, which is just sort of outside um, just that particular family and story, I'm also looking at what I experience as like the nature of this universe, which mm. is, we can say, like creator and creatrix and the creatives. We can say many different things. Um, the third, though, what that represents to me um, and that Sarah represented but it's, it's every single one of us. Like each of us is the third. And the third to me, again, just using my labels, is the soul. Mm. So we have these things like the masculine and the feminine. Um, and we've noticed, you know, over the years, there's been a real, thankfully, you know, reclamation of the feminine and the feminine coming back. And we can even see it in this particular story with Magdalene. Um, with that that piece really coming back into our consciousness and that's really noticing that things are they're imbalanced with this lack of the feminine um the third is saying and remember there's the soul which is each of us and that we each have a very distinct sovereign essential identity which is as important as this universe it's different than this universe and in fact if we don't reclaim that and embody it we actually are not helping this entire universe evolve. So Sarah is both sort of the missing piece because, you know, no one's ever heard of her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have heard Magdalene, but we've never heard of Sarah. Um, Sarah's the missing piece, but what she represents is that we are all the missing piece in love's story. Um, 
masculine and feminine, as you know, you know, are labels. And one of the things I do use those labels in the book, I do use father, mother, I do use he, she. Um, I, I also recognize they are just labels and that there are plenty, plenty of non-binary, you know, aspects and things in between all of those or none of those. But what I do see them as uh, are that we all inside of us have contrasting aspects that are both human and universal mm-hmm. and that when we bring them together, like when we just hug those things in and our own messy kind of human embrace in whatever ways we can, we actually shatter all restrictions to love. Um, it's in that family, that rejoining of the family, bringing Sarah back to her parents, bringing the divine soul back to the body, reinstating the importance of the soul within this universe and within what I would call yeah, the universal trinity, that just reminds us all of a wholeness. And I know this sounds abstract, but we can also just look at it very in human terms. Like, if we don't have living representatives or living symbols of our wholeness, it's really hard to, like, get what that is. And mm-hmm. archetypes, we, we get this, we get this through deities, we get this through different religious traditions sometimes, or just myths and stories, and they're all wonderful and all necessary. But there is something especially powerful to actually know that there was also, you know, a couple who was doing this a real flesh and blood man and woman who were embodying this and they were far from perfect at it, but they were embodying it. And there was a child that embodied that as well. Like that whole threesome. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I know this is kind of, I'm trying to move both from the human to the divine and back and forth. So I realize it's a little abstract. Um, But the third piece to me is essentially the soul. It is all of us. And we are actually the missing piece in the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you said nothing ruins a spiritual mission like a vagina, which mm-hmm. I love, I just love that. And the fact that, you know, as Sarah grew and, you know, there was, there's the story and there's a group of men that take her off and they discover this essence of red um, that, that, that she was, they were trying to exercise and she herself was trying to exercise this from her body. Why do you say those things? You know, mm-hmm. where is that coming from? Why the rejection of the red? Yeah. Well, that's, that's a multi-layered, um, let's see. Red. So I'll say this, you know, true love is every color in existence, mm-hmm. but the particular nature and relationship that my parents had and talking about Jesus and Magdalene, Mm -hmm. the color and sort of essence of the love between them um, was red. And that matched the essence of my soul. And when we look at, well, we can just look around us. The story (laughs) didn't make it for a reason. Um, I don't know all the reasons why, but if we look around for some reason, like Magdalene got off. <laughs> there was no chance for a child once you separate mm-hmm. uh, Magdalene. Sorry, there's just there's a lot of layers, but I'm just trying to decide which um, what would be the most uh, helpful here. Um, I guess I'm asking I because yeah. I yeah. I feel. You know, for me, it's there's this role of sexuality and how it works with the right. soul and the spiciness, the earthiness, the embodiedness of this essence yeah. that Sarah carries as a result of her parents, your parents, feels like for years it's been rejected. And I'm just curious to see, like, you know, speaking more about that and how maybe now that we're in the presence, how we reconcile that in our own being and also just collectively. Sure. Well, you spoke to it really beautifully and thank you because there's so many layers of it for me Mm -hmm. that I can get a little lost in it as you just witnessed. But um, yes, I think on one level, um, this is something Red Hot Holy really explored pretty deeply was that red itself as the color and the energy can signify 
so many different things for people, but often it is sexuality. It is our base nature. It's more of our animal instinct. These are all these things that can symbolize and that it represents. And so there's a lot of fear of what that means if we embody that. Um, but for red relations, what I also noticed was that red at its heart mm-hmm. also symbolizes true love, just this sort of wild, authentic love and devotion both to oneself and to another and to life itself. Mm-hmm. When we start really remembering that, that like we are that and we are made of that and that that's kind of why we came here. <laughs> mm-hmm. The the games and the structures and the paradigms and the sort of layers of restriction and oppression that are on this planet start to crack. Uh-huh. So those, and I'm not trying to sound too conspiratorial, but without a doubt, we have seen it throughout time. There are those who want, for lack of a better phrase, like the game to continue. Mm-hmm. Um, what my parents love declared was game over. Mm-hmm. What And that happens when any of us just are like, here I am, I'm here for love, I'm here for the real fucking deal, <laughs> like, yeah. I'm devoted, I'm here. Like that shit shakes the foundations mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. everything. And nothing can really stand together in the face of true love that is false. And so there is a lot of money, a lot of power, a lot of control, thousands and thousands and thousands of years of things that have been built in order to contain and control both the feminine, definitely sexuality, but also love. Because there is nothing, in my opinion, more powerful than love. It is the living heart of this universe. It beats inside every single one of us. But like once that starts to actually be unleashed and incarnated in a natural and real and human way, shit changes. Mm. So, but for that particular lifetime, yeah, there, there's, I mean, no way was a female regarded in the same way that a male was. And so when I was born, everyone was hoping for a man, mm-hmm. <laughs> a boy child, mm-hmm. <laughs> without a doubt. And that was actually my first experience was this complete rejection from my parents' community because I had a vagina. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's been that that is the universal theme for probably every single woman or any any of us who have been in a female body. We've experienced that rejection. We've experienced being buried alive. We've experienced being silenced and not having our body respected, not having our voice allowed, not having many things. And then, um, so yeah, this, this story in many ways is the feminine story. It's also the soul story, but it's also just love's story as it's just struggled here, you know, through all of us to, to do its thing. And it's not had an easy time. Mm. So nice. I mean, not so nice, but um, <laughs> just just great to have it come alive and have it be fucking real. And I don't know, just part of me just feels excited for the opportunity to ride the energy of emergence after being dormant for so long and being rejected for so long, you know, there's just like extra power around it. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you know, would we have traded all the years of suffering to have a more of a balance? Yes. But I don't think it's wrong to be excited by this. You know what I mean? And to lead with that energy, which is what I feel in this when I read the book rather than and I hey damn man we've been dealt a shit deal you know what I mean <laughs> right <laughs> you right. know no and no for sure and um and that's one of the things I just I love about you Chantal and I feel that that theme through all of your work and through emerging women I mean just the name emerging women as you've always carried that absolute like like that torch and that reminder to all of us that like it's time and although like yeah we got ways to go and there's imbalances and there's shit we got to learn and like re-educate it's like you're like come on like it's time but it's actually at least it's happening Mm -hmm. and I think for some of us like myself I've been so like shell-shocked I'm like wait really (laughs) really this is happening 
we can actually come out of whatever place that we've either put ourselves in or we've been shoved into or that the culture and society is just continually reinforced around us and that we can do this now and we can do it because like we have each other mm-hmm. and that is just like an absolute necessity and I mean really each other like like we can't like we white women we fucking cannot do this without including all the black and the brown and the yellow and every kind of, we just can't, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I feel like, like we cannot do this without each other. And I mean, everybody. Mm-hmm. And so it is exciting. And, and we are all, you know, kind of like stumbling and tumbling along and laughing and singing and then falling on our faces again. And getting back up again and being like, we're going to keep going. And, and that's, that's kind of the glorious beauty of it right now is it's not clean and pure and perfect. It's, it's just, but it's alive. Like what we're doing yeah. right now is we're coming back to life. Yeah. I, I love that. And man, we can't do it without this process of recovering. And like you say, embodying these lost parts of our soul, like we can't do that. I don't even, I I'm afraid of a movement that is, you know, led by fragmented, broken women. You know what I mean? Like that it starts with some kind of recognition, like like you say here, that there are some fragmentation. There are some pieces that need to be reincorporated. Just with the awareness, mm-hmm. without the awareness, um, I just don't think we can do it. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. And I'm really glad that the universe, like, slapped me to the ground nine years ago um, when my career was kind of taking off and it was like <laughs> no you don't <laughs> because you've got some major shit you got to work through yeah and I will never and I will never be done with it and it's, it's not about reaching some perfect point where now you're able to you know go out into the world and do your mission it's not about that but there are pieces each of us has that you articulated so well that do need to come home. So what we're doing really can have the effect that it needs to. And, and I mean, I am, we're complex, multifaceted beings, you know, that are always going to have to be sort of chucking our own shit at the door. Mm-hmm. Like I'm always looking at the parts of me that are like, wait, no, now that part crawled out. That's more like self-serving, you know, and I can see where it came from. It came from a wound, but I just need to embrace it, but I need to freaking acknowledge these parts. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's, if in any way I am going to be out there in, in some sort of public way. And I, I, I do not feel it's only for public things, but I do think if we're speaking to yeah. people larger than our family and friends, there is, there is more of a responsibility here. And that's yeah. something I take very, very, very seriously. Um, and I know I'm not alone in that, um, but it's something that, yes, I agree with you. I, I, I know it's been so important in my own life and it will continue to be. Yeah. And, and I respect you for taking that seriously. It's, I just want to say this one thing. I really do, because I know when you came out with the Red Book, there was a huge sweep. I mean, it was hugely popular and, you know, go, go, go. And you were like, put the brakes on. And that takes a lot of courage. And you didn't, not that other people are doing this, but you didn't like co-opt that attention into something that didn't feel real to you, you know? And as a young woman, um, at that point, you know, not that you're not a young woman. No, we're all young women, sisters. Um, <laughs> but I just, I just commend you for that. And I remember just listening to this thing on self-esteem. It was an audio program from Sounds True on self-esteem with Carolyn Mace. I mean, totally old school, where she was like mm-hmm. yelling. You know how she gets like super intense. And she was yelling like <laughs> all you people speaking out there publicly right? And taking your traumas Mm -hmm. and your wounds and capitalizing on them and profiting from them, right? Watch out. The karma's coming back. Like you need to be, (laughs) you know, I was like, oh my God, scared. Like the the cover's up to my chin. All right, Carolyn. But you know, I mean, we do have this responsibility to step out as whole as we can in this, in the period that we are in our life. It is a responsibility, yeah. and I, I just so, um, I appreciate that. So, thank you. 
Yeah, and I think if, mm-hmm. and, and I think even if we, because um, again, I also just want to rephrase. I want us to be. I want to be careful because I, I, this isn't some other model of like you have to be perfect before you step out. Course, but I think yeah. what you do have to be is is like what you're saying and what we're. <laughs> is like, just be fucking transparent about it. Like, mm-hmm. just be real. Be like, I can still, I mean, here's something like I fully know and, and I know other people feel this too. We can we can still deliver the goods while we are broken. Mm. You know, we can still, and in fact, there are, sometimes being broken is how the goods come through us even more. Like I, I you know, we're talking about wholeness either, this earlier, I don't, I thought, to be honest, by the time I had this interview, which is my first interview of this book, I was just going to have this, like, total confidence, and I was just going to be like, yeah, this is it. And the past two months, I've just been completely without confidence, completely doubting. All my shit's come up, like, nobody's business. Mm -hmm, (laughs) It's just mm -hmm. been so much about that and so humbling to just be like, I... I'm never probably going to have all of this together, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and what I'm offering to the planet isn't always going to be this whole perfect thing. And I, I'm not going to be this whole perfect thing, mm-hmm. but I am going to be as honest as I can and share from my heart and my soul and my body. And, um, and hopefully, you know, that's, that's good enough. Or I'll just, you know, people will stop asking me to do interviews and stuff. And that's it. You know, like, it's not a big deal. It's just like, mm-hmm. if I keep getting asked to do interviews, I will keep showing up and doing whatever I can to, to really be there, my own work and whatever, but also knowing there's just no way. And I don't think we're supposed to, I really, perfection is such a trap. It's such a trap. And so being willing to be human um, is both, yes, doing our inner work, when it is natural and it's timely and it feels right to us. And it's also being willing to show up even when we've got holes, you know, all over us. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. It's both of those. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. Well said. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. I mean, it's just been a pleasure and as usual, a very rich experience. And um, I know that our paths will cross again soon and I wish you the very best here. And I'm wondering if, for final comments, if, if your inner red lady has anything to say to our audience. Just a reminder um, to trust yourself and your body and your path. Just really keep trusting yourself. <laughs> mm. that's, that's, that's it. Um, and thank you so much for having me on here and allowing me to be sort of the awkward, wobbly, um, you know, woman that I am right now as I'm coming out into the world with this book. And just thank you for your support. You have been such an incredible support for me over the years. And I just, I feel it. And I'm just really grateful. And I'm very grateful to Emerging Women and what you all are bringing to this planet. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this Emerging Women podcast, please subscribe and review it on iTunes and share it with your friends. When you do, it makes a huge difference in spreading this work and building this movement so that women worldwide can access these incredible conversations, tap into their own emergence, and support the rise of women globally. Also, be sure to check out the Emerging Women membership community with live sessions every month hosted by inspiring female leaders and me, founder and CEO of Emerging Women, Chantal Pirat. The membership is a hub of resources and support, full of brilliant emerging women like you who are stepping into their growth and their leadership. You can join for free at emergingwomen.com. Until next time, may your journey be inspired. Thank you.